Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is our league, and this is your league. From the 55-yard line on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network. This is a league of A's and B's. It's green and red and gold and black and blue. This is a league with two official languages and many unofficial languages. It's East versus West, wheat versus iron, love versus hate. This is a league where superstars are extraordinary and ordinary at the same time. It's a league of ice, of fog, of mud and wind. And for one Sunday in November, it's the nation's glue. This is a league as diverse as a country, a league of Jacksons and Kwongs, Johnsons, Moscas, O'Shea's, and Haji Razulis. This is his league, his league, her league, their league, and their league. It's my league, and it's your league. This is our league. Hey, and welcome to From the 55-Yard Line. This is Greg. And usually, before we do, we sit down, we do our interview, uh, our pre-recorded interview with our guest. Scott and I usually sit down, talk, catch up on life, talk CFL, talk NFL, talk XFL, whatever the topic may be. Scott and I usually sit down and uh, talk about it before we go into the interview. Well, unfortunately, (laughs) prior to us recording the our interview with dr frank costantino power went out uh we had tornado warnings in birmingham and power went out on scott's end so i want to apologize for everybody who was expecting to see scott this episode uh i feel bad it's been a while since him and i have actually done a show together but we're gonna we're getting there we're getting there um since i'm in japan he's in he's on the other side of the world well, actually, most of you guys are on the other side of the world, as most listeners are in North America. We will figure this out. So, hey, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Um, and like I said, we're going to have uh, Scott here back here shortly. Sure hope so. Um, so with that said, this episode today is with the premier Canadian football scholar, Dr. Frank Cosentino. And Dr. Frank Cosentino is the most interesting man in Canadian football, if you ask me. Drafted by the Hamilton Tiger Cats. He played in Grey Cups. He has won Grey Cups. He's won Veneer Cups as a coach. And he has a lengthy, lengthy bibliography to his name. There's so much to be said um, about the good doctor. 
such a gracious man, such a nice man. Um, and um, I could have talked to him all day. Um, there's just so much there just talking with him. And I really enjoyed sitting down with him and doing our interview. So, folks, with that said, I'm going to stop talking here and let you listen to my interview with him. And I hope you enjoy listening to my interview with him as much as I enjoyed interviewing him and talking and learning so much. And one of the little tidbits of trivia uh, before I, I, I hand off to the interview, that Frank was the last, he threw the last touchdown pass by a Canadian team against an NFL team back in the 19, back in 1960, when Hamilton beat the Buffalo Bills, obviously were part of the AFL back then, but they were, you know, part of the NFL, part of the NFL now. But he was on the last win, the only winning team to beat the NFL um, on the football field. So I did not realize that going into this interview. So it was a very pleasant surprise when when he he told me that. So hey, yeah, I'm rambling on here. I do apologize, um, but thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for uh, coming back to the podcast. Now that now that we are back. On a, on a regular basis after uh, my long move here overseas. And um, by all means, please, if you have any ideas, any suggestions for shows for us to do, feel free to reach out to us. I'm at CFL America on Twitter. We are also at CFLamerica.ca at gmail.com. And Scott is at AdamsonSL on Twitter. And also give... Scott's website, his articles are read. I was actually reading, reading a few of those today myself. So it's at, at he's at Adamson, AdamsonMedia.com. So without further ado, here's my interview with Dr. Frank Cosentino, Canadian football historian. Frank, welcome to the show. We, uh, it's greetings from Japan and apologies to everybody out there listening. Scott uh, was online with us, but there is a well, there's a tornado warning in Birmingham, so he had to he had to he had to uh, sign off on here before we could start rec- recording. Hopefully, he will pop back on. Hey, Frank, thank you very much for for joining us for joining for joining us and by us I mean Scott, even though he's not with us here at the moment. It, it's wonderful to have you on. It's great to talk CFL football, and as luck, unfor- bad luck would have it, we're talking about CFL history, CFL football just a couple days removed from the fact that the Alouettes have now been returned to the league for ownership. So yeah, I want to talk to you about that and, but more, we'll start off talking about how I first came to know you. And that was through your book, a passing game, which is the first book on Canadian history, Canadian, actually first book on Canadian, not only Canadian football history, but Canadian history. I think I read cover to cover. Um, how did that book come about? If you could tell, let her tell people, cause it is a great, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful book. It's, it's a very scholarly book too, on top of that. Well, yeah. Thanks Greg very much. Uh, um, there was a previous book called Canadian football, the great cup years. Uh, and it was my master's thesis at the university of Alberta. And, uh, it was really the first book I'm aware of that was published uh, with the history of what was going on from Great Cup 
09 to Grey Cup 68. And so I, I took that as uh, the model. And, uh, you know, I, I'm attached to football in so many ways. But anyways, I, at the end of the first book, uh, within a year, it just so happened that I was uh, hired as a coach at the University of Western Ontario, uh, a football coach and also uh, an assistant professor at that time in sport history. So, um, and I worked on my dissertation at that time, which was uh, a history of professionalism in Canadian sport. And I finished that by, by 73. So as it turned out, um, I decided to collect material about the CFL from that first date from 1968. And well, I, I went up to 1960, 1974. And uh, I, I mentioned uh, to you just in casual conversation that I, I, I was introduced to a whole gallery of football, uh, items that were going into the Sports Hall of Fame, the Hamilton uh, Football Hall of Fame in, in Hamilton. And uh, when I went down there, I gathered so much information that I decided I, I, I was doing writing and other sports, but enjoying the football because I had played the game and uh, wanted to write about it, wanted to try to be objective about it. Uh, and, and just uh, chronicle uh, either the trend to professionalism, the Americanization of the game, or rule changes. They would they would be the three items I was going to look at. And uh, lo and behold, it came, it came out. It it was uh, uh, it was a cover uh, there, and when. When it went out of print, I decided that I would break it up into two books and uh, and went to a do-it-yourself publishing company. Okay. And, and so I uh, uh, built on that eventually to to to, to uh, produce another book and working on the fifth book and on Canadian football this year. And yes, it is a shame that's, that Montreal has fallen into that uh, abyss where uh, just after having so much to look forward to, um, looks like someone has pulled the rug out from under it, but uh, they'll bounce back because they could, people can see uh, what, what is going to happen, what has begun to happen and strong ownership and, and good coaches. And that whole area of Quebec has got some excellent football teams that traditionally win uh, the Vanier Cup, which is the national collegiate football uh, program cup. Right. Well, when you, when you played back in the 60s, 
when you won those mm -hmm. two gray cups when it came to american fo american professional football and canadian professional football things were pretty much on par from what i recall reading in terms of not only stadium size and attendance wise i mean i know there's some differences obviously with one the population size of the country and but was also the pay scale was that pretty much co commiserate with with the end i mean what was what were the differences back when you played well you may not believe this greg but uh the canadian doll i i started in 1960 and i played through to 1969. Uh, the first few years of 1960 the canadian dollar was about 10 percent higher than the wow. american dollar so, and the NFL football uh, wasn't as well, money conscious, if that's the proper word. Um, they didn't have the big television contracts. They didn't have a lot of income. They had to rely on, on uh, who was going to uh, play for them at a sum that was less than... Uh, what they could have made in in uh, Canada, and to top it off, um, if if you came, well, you could you could find a job outside of football, and combine it with the practices that were held because all the practices were after five o'clock, mm -hmm. uh, and and so you you could attract an American to come up and play and he could find a job and then also go to football practice afterwards. So he would have double the income that he could normally make out of uh, that 90% American dollar. Right. Uh, and, and Really, we weren't that far off. In, uh, in 1961, um, the AFL was just starting, mm -hmm. and Buffalo uh, was in his first year. And Hamilton and Buffalo are pretty close as far as geography. So Buffalo, uh, trying to attract people from Canada to come watch their, their game, they challenged the Tiger Cats to a football game, exhibition yeah. game, and, uh, and, and hoping that they would show the public that they're way better than the, the CFL. Well, it didn't work out that way. Uh, uh, Hamilton beat Buffalo. The Buffalo stations and media they were all over the football team and uh uh you know i i was fortunate i was able to play in that game well you're 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 opening a whole box of other questions now that i want to ask you about that game uh, uh first off how'd you how'd you do what were you do you remember your stats for the game oh well um this was my second year of football. There were four quarterbacks. Okay. And so I got to play the last maybe three, four minutes of okay. the game. 
and through a touchdown pass uh, for, I think it was 70 yards in all, because I'd noticed on the sidelines, one of the big differences between American football and Canadian football is unlimited motion for the for, in Canadian football. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the United States, you have to wait for the ball to be snapped before any movement. Right. So, uh, and then motion. I, I don't. I I sat was sitting on the bench. And I saw one play where Ralph Goldston, who had played uh, with Philadelphia Eagles, and it was in his fourth or fifth year with Hamilton. Anyways, I saw he's he was able to swing out of the bathroom, <laughs> out of the bathroom, swing out of the <laughs> swing out of. Uh, the formation and head, head head straight up and nobody was nobody was picking you up so i kind of marked it in my mind and the first thing i did when i was in there I, I called that play and told him go straight up you know he said and he winked because he knew that it was going to happen too so anyways i uh it worked out well it, okay uh, uh had a, had a a chance to play scored a touchdown um, and it was, it was, you know, Bernie Filoni was Tom, was the top quarterback there. Tom Dimitrov was another one and Jerry Eisen was another one. That, so I was number four, okay. but the only Canadian, but I think I, uh, I, I helped my position by, by doing that. Well, yeah, I would say, I would say you did. <laughs> Would say yeah. you did with your career after that you know yeah. um so in that game and if memory serves me correct you guys used two sets of rules was it one set for one half or what did you guys i would imagine it was one set for each half instead of going from quarter to quarter to quarter because <clears throat> that would that would completely throw things yeah. off i think you're right i think that's what it was the uh um yeah each each half had its okay. own set of, but we scored more points, whatever the uh, whatever half was being used at that time, and uh, I I know that you know uh, I've been going down to Florida, uh, I mentioned before Florida around Largo, Tampa, mm -hmm. and a lot of people called it Buffalo South, and that game would come up when I was oh, down there. Wow. And uh, and they say, you you guys didn't beat Buffalo, did you? Did, really? Did, did you do that? And they, they couldn't believe that a team from the CFL would have won the game, even at that time. Right. Well, and, and at that time, what was the reaction in the Canadian media to that victory? Yeah. Well, you know, really, there wasn't. Uh, I. Hamilton had uh, two newspapers at the time and there was a story because it was uh, I think it was around August the 5th or 6th mm -hmm. something like that and the league was just about to begin and that was the last to do with the um, it was kind of just not, not ho-hum uh, everybody had a big kick out of it right. and they were happy but uh, 
Yeah, it, it. I don't think you'd mention it to any Buffalo people right now. Okay. They, uh... <laughs> well, yeah. After after get the way they got bounced in the playoffs this year, that it just added added more salt in the wound. Yeah. Um, well, when you during that time period, and it's gonna with the talking about the media, was the CFL being broadcast in the CBC, or was just everything by was it the only coverage on radio? Um, cause that's when I go back and I read stuff and I'm like, I never really hear much about what the TV landscape was in Canada during that time. Obviously knowing what I know about American football history, you know, yeah. that there was TV was a huge part of landscape starting in the sixties. What was the landscape media wise with the CFL back then? Well, in, in the sixties and well into the seventies, only the CBC telecast, uh, the football game, the CFL football games. And uh, that was part of the problem. There was no TSN uh, at that time. Um, CTV was, uh, yeah, it was just opening up. They only had one or two stations at that time, but it was strictly a CBC operation. And uh, actually that uh, played right into the hands of, of when the CTV took over, um, felt that it was strong enough that it could provide a, res uh, a network. Um, they cut off the CBC transmission because it was their baby now. And, and there was a tremendous rebellion, if you want to call it that, by the public saying, uh, you, you know, it's a cultural uh, item. It's uh, one that defines our Canadianism and it's our culture. Uh, you have to be able to allow the CBC to to telecast that. They're talking to the CTV people. Mm -hmm. And so there was a law passed in Parliament, actually, that uh, that would have to happen. C CTV was the proper carrier but they would uh they would pick up a lot of the uh, uh the cbc stations on the way so that they could watch it as well because it was a canadian heritage cultural thing right well it's and that kind of sounds like what they do down here in the states for so for instance in chicago if say if the game's on espn monday night football it'll be on over the air broadcast um, as part yeah. of that contractual thing. Um, when, so back then, so the C, the, so the CFL, if I'm hearing it was not, it was not a coast to coast. Was it on coast to coast? So, I mean, with only four, four games each week, did everybody in the country, well, I mean, TSN obviously, broadcast yeah. everything and you've got you know only one game being played at each time but in canada with the cfl were people it was it were you able to have a communal experience watching each yeah. cfl game yeah it, it uh, pretty well you, you played you played every week right. uh and usually a saturday or as well sunday didn't come in till 62, 63. Okay. Uh, uh, so usually the games were 
Saturday. Okay. Uh, and also, uh, I, uh, but there wasn't. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think people had any problems that way. I, I, right. I'm trying to recall back and see what happened. Uh, but yeah, it, it wasn't a big thing. That okay. that uh, there were only well after 1954, BC Lions came in in 1954. Right, and so they made up the ninth team, and so one team would always have a bye. Yeah. Um, during during the week, and then you always knew that your Grey Cup game was going to be sometime in between the third week of December, second, fourth, that that type of thing. Right. And back then, what was the influence of the NFL? Was there much NFL coverage north of the border? Um. Yeah. That, that's that's really there's a whole thesis you could write on that uh, uh, no um, <clears throat> there there was that's why part of my thesis uh, I talked about uh, the, the trend to the Americanization of, of football right okay so in, in the 1950s, our governor general um, came out with a, a program where Canadian music, Canadian culture had to appear as minimum 62% because the music was being send it and you know mostly American music would come on and be played by disc jockeys or things like that and uh, and there was no opportunity for people of talent mm -hmm. to be able to put their music out uh, it would oh it's 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 Canadian it wouldn't right. be, wouldn't be a good thing so the uh, that happened, <clears throat> and there were all sorts of naysayers that said, "You know, boy, yeah, watch, watch this thing tank. How are they gonna, how are they gonna make people uh, play Canadian music type of thing?" And and this gets over into the football as well, right? But and so uh, it worked though. It worked. The stations had to do it to maintain their license. And one of the things my wife and I uh, mentioned when we go down to Florida, uh, we can be in a, a a place where uh, where music would be played, mm -hmm. whether you're buying a dress or whether you're buying a suit or there's a bicycle or whatever. And all of a sudden, a, a Canadian um, music item would come on on the overhead speakers type of thing and uh, just recognize it, it, it wouldn't have happened had this uh, 
governor general back in the 50s, the Massey, Massey Commission. It right. wouldn't have happened had that not come through. And so, and part of that has, uh, has leaked into uh, football. Right. Uh, you know, it, you can count the Canadian quarterbacks on your fingers. Uh, well, right if, now I've only got one finger. Yeah, so, right. yeah, <laughs> with yeah. Nathan Roark coming down to Jacksonville. <laughs> well, there's uh, now O'Connor is. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, I say that I'm, I'm not happy in saying that, but you know. Yeah, no, it, but it, it's uh, there have been all sorts of cases where uh, just uh, coaches would close their eyes to mm-hmm. what a Canadian quarterback would do for the team right and uh and it, it made sense basically from their point of view you know yeah. because the american quarterback has got good coaching is groomed uh he's many coaches are telling him what he can do and what he can't do techniques are improved and things like that says whereas it, it, the thinking was the Canadian quarterbacks weren't getting any pub, any uh, training at all. Just like uh, uh, you know, every every coach who used to come in mm-hmm. to uh, take over, one of the first things they would do is, is yeah, we we got to get some training done on these uh, tackles and these quarterbacks and guards type of thing. But in the last well, close to 10 years, Canadian university uh, programs have just taken off. The scholarships are there. Right. Uh, you can talk to your friend Jim Mullins about that. Yeah. And, and, uh, and because of that, uh, and that's why I think maybe getting back to Montreal, um, Montreal the Quebec player coming out of those Quebec colleges now are probably among the best American or Canadian um, in uh, because of the scholarship uh, the apparatus that they put them through the the fact that you know um, the the uh, no it's it's uh, I, I think the, the the colleges are part of the program now that is going to stay with uh, football and will, will do well. Okay. Well, I mean, that actually brings up a question for me that I really, over the years, now that I'm now that I'm living in Japan and watching Japanese football and watching Japanese kids play, um, when I say kids because I'm 55 years old, uh, you know, um, yeah, it, it seems like you know I'm watching, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, um, when I went to the national college football championship here, you know, what enjoying watching Japanese football, and so my question is, is in Canada, why is it that the CFL doesn't develop? Doesn't do they work at all with these Canadian colleges and universities? to develop the talent, to bring in the CFL? I mean, let's face it, in the States, the SEC is a farm league for the, the NFL. Um, yeah. We all know that. 
but to me as a fan, I like, I love Canada. I love going, I, I love my trips to Canada. They're the most, you know, I had a choice between going to Europe or going to Quebec for my long, you know, for, for my wife and I, for our vacation before we moved to Japan. And I'm going to Canada because I love Canada and I love the culture. I love the people. But what I get frustrated about is when I watch CFL football and they're all talking about Americans. They're all talking about the American players. And I know the history. I mean, obviously, you know, import. But I would love to see more Canadian talent playing Canadian football. I mean, um, and I know what 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 is has the CFL ever tried to to rectify that? You know, to develop that homegrown talent instead of you know bringing bringing us 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 Yankees in from the north from the south to come yeah. in and play. Well, you know, Canadians have a huge inferiority complex. We live next door to the elephant type of thing. And uh, whatever, if it's American, it's branded as, gee, pretty good. It's Canadian, uh, thinking like that. And that, that, now that's only an opinion, but that transcends into, into sport. Um, and money, uh, you know, there's uh, each club can't overspend about five and a half million dollars right. on their team, right? Because of that TV contract. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so yeah, so so you have TSN with a contract of around 50 to 55 million dollars. And uh, in a way, um, the colleges, the Canadian colleges do some uh, visitation to, to, to camps, to practices, but uh, they put all their they put all their faith really in in being a group of college a, a group of players to come to their a, a certain place that'll be picked out where they have to go through a whole bunch of uh, things and then they come out with a draft mm-hmm. but uh, other than that. Uh, there is, there is some, but very little money that goes from the CFL to the colleges, to the universities. Uh, and part of it is, is uh, they just don't have the money. Right. Uh, you know, well, they're... Yeah, because I'm thinking here about Randy Ambrosi's CFL 2.0 International, which is great, but... I'm thinking, okay, what about the guys at home? Because you've got talent there that should be part of of cultural institution. Um, you know, and it's great. I mean, uh, Tashiki Sato is going to be playing for the Calgary Stampeders. He's going from Toronto to Calgary, which is great. But you know, when I'm I'm watching CFO, I mean, I love Canada, so it's like I would love mm-hmm. to know more about. Um, 
you know, the backstory of where these kids played college at, because we get, you know, I always feel bad because well, when I was in Canada, we would watch TV and it would be mostly American news. And I'm like, can we find something? Go to see, go, go. Okay, good. Canadian news. Okay. I can, this is what I want to see. So, um, but the CFL, but there have been efforts in the past and what we're talking now, I guess the distance, I mean, we're, we're talking a long time ago now, about 50 years when the CFL was under threat from American football that was going to be addressed by the parliament when it came to the world football league. Um, And that's a, a a period of history that for, even when I talk to my friends who know a lot about CFL history, don't know that story. So what was, what was that? What, what was that, how it came about and this without giving away the end, how did it, how did it ultimately turn out with the WFL, the threat with the, the world football league? Yeah, um, I have to go back to uh, 1972, 1973. Uh, the owner of the Toronto Telegram newspaper, John Bassett, um, his son wanted to bring an American team into as part of the World Football League. And he went out and signed uh, oh uh, you talking Zonka kicking Zonka yeah. kicking uh, uh, Warfield? Yeah, there, there you go. Uh, he was gonna sign them at a million dollars each. Right. And they were going to uh, they were going to be the flagship of a team from Canada and the government of Canada and it stepped in because the CFL uh, CFL said it was going to damage football if the American League came in there the World Cup. And so uh, Mark Lalonde, who was uh, uh, assistant prime minister type of thing or Department of Health, um, he went to bat with, with, uh, for the league and ended up, uh, you know, traveling to Saskatchewan, making all sorts of uh, uh, speeches about uh, it's a cultural thing. You shouldn't be allowed to interrupt it and everything like that. And so make a long story short, uh, the Memphis Southmen, once they found out that there was that sort of uh, uh, anti-acceptance to them, uh, became the Memphis Southmen, uh, and they were supposed to be the Toronto Northmen, and then they, yeah, they became the be Southmen. A, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and then that opened up uh, just a whole, you know, you know. Well, there were there were people who 
that's kind of a not a dictatorial thing, but that's a that's a position that uh, I know that with some Americans, you go down there, they have an idea that the Canadian government, because they're tied into so many things, that they're, uh, they must be communists because they're, <laughs> you know, because they, they pay for your medical assistance, yeah. uh, you know, and uh, things like that. So, and I've had, I've had people, uh, when I go down there, uh, I've had people say, uh, we compare things and say, well, you guys are communists. What are you doing? And, and, nothing, and, Frank, nothing gets under my skin more than the ignorance of my fellow Americans about Canada. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not all. There's, there's some. But, but anyways, it, uh, the government stepped in. Right. Uh, and, and, but, uh, it wasn't pleased afterwards that the uh, it, it wasn't pleased that the clubs went on to ignore uh, the universities, uh, ignore people who were coming up, and not not to do things that uh, uh, meant to be so. I, it it. Yeah, the the uh, the head of the health and welfare was uh, John Monroe, who was from Hamilton, but he came out and so people again they had to use an American reference. He came out with the Monroe Doctrine. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, when so that. Well, the World Football League's failed spectacularly, as we all well know. And friend, um, our friend of the show, Upton Bell, was part of that ownership that you know, ultimately yeah. failed spectacularly. Yeah. So now let's fast forward a little bit now to let's go. Then we got a reversal here where Canada comes south to America and Canadian football and the Baltimore Colts are reborn. And how? So let's talk about that a little bit, that whole that whole era, yeah. which I and I don't I've, I've got your, uh, you know, I've got my Baltimore, you know, I've got my Baltimore Stallion. Our, I like to still call them the Baltimore CFL Colts because that's really they were the they were the uh, they were the Colts to me. But I've yeah. got my my Stallion stuff here. So when. So the brainchild. Of the whole American expansion, it was all kind of brought about by one person that I that every American over a certain age is very familiar with. But when John Candy became part owner of the Argonauts, is that specifically when the idea of coming expanding south began, or had that idea to expand down to the states been percolating well before you know the late '80s, early '90s? Uh, well, I, I think it happened before John Candy. Uh, when when Baltimore, the Baltimore ownership in the middle of the night took all their gear to Indianapolis. Right. Um, so was that was that when the idea up north that the CFL up north might expand south to 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 
to look for new markets and fill in the gaps where this, the NFL didn't play or. Well, I, I think it was right in the midst of that, okay. but, but um, the reality was that the CFL needed money. Right. And uh, by, by transferring, not transferring, by initiating um, membership teams in, in the States, it's going to cost, it was going to bring $3 million per team, roughly, right. and which would be distributed and, and so on. Um, Baltimore, I think, was a special case because I don't know if it was so much that they were espoused to uh, Canadian rules. It was just, you know, the CFL to them were Colts for life. Right. And, and, the NFL barred them from using that. And so you're, you're right that they were the stallions. But as far as the fans were concerned, that Colts for life. And so it was almost like, let's go to the football game and show them we don't need them to get a crowd in here and everything like that. And, uh, and then eventually... Uh, Colt, uh, Baltimore won this in '95. I think Baltimore won right. the great. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and then, but at the same time, then new ownership came in the NFL, and Baltimore really folded. And the, the whole team almost moved to Montreal and and became uh, the, the, the Alouettes as well. And I think uh, uh, a lot of those players, you know, helped Montreal. I can't, I can't remember which, uh, they, they meant the, uh, well, they, they they went on a great cup ramp for right. four, three or four years. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. Candy Candy loved football, apparently. Mm -hmm. And uh, Gretzky and McNall, uh, yeah. Um, I, I think they were a little concerned with... Uh, that they had to direct some of the money that what they brought in to the other. There was uh, uh, ownership uh, needed money from teams that were making the country, uh, making uh, their profit. They needed it, it to stand on their, their feet. And right. I, I don't think that McNall and Gretzky liked that. And uh, well, but, back th back then, if I'm not mistaken, the the teams in the prairies were struggling. I know it wasn't Saskatchewan and Winnipeg; they were they were struggling, and the other teams out there. Obviously, now things are reversed, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, it it uh, uh, 
Yeah, they 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 probably uh, McNolan, Gretzky, and Candy, and uh, they they brought up uh, uh, who was it? The Notre Dame Rocket Ishmael. Yeah, Rocket is Ismail, and uh, and uh, he he played well, and and they played well, and uh, but at the same time. I think I think the three of them felt that they were going to make much more money of this, and instead of their getting the profits that they wanted, um, it was being redistributed to other teams because right. of some some clause. So uh, uh, I probably forgot most of the stuff uh, down there, but yeah. uh, it was it was a. Uh, Candy, I think if Candy had lived uh, longer, uh, maybe it might have turned out better for the for the league in the long yeah. run. Yeah. Well, when when the CFL expanded down south, I mean, the most successful team was was Baltimore with the other teams. Yeah. Um, with the other teams, really not you know they were they they did not do well and um obviously there was a team in birmingham which did well before college season kicked in and then obviously when 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 the sec started playing uh attendance dropped off but then you also had a team down in san antonio which you know the, the cfl had a great idea of going into markets where there was no nfl competition um maybe had they gone to say places like portland um, or even going to the Dakotas of all places, they might've had, um, yeah. a little bit better success. Yeah. Um, so now, you know, the expansion with the end of expansion, the, the, the league went back to its, well, 18, well, it was nine teams and eight teams. Once Ottawa, um, ran out of steam, the Rough Riders ran out of steam. Yeah. We had the Red Blacks come back and then, you know, the CFL got healthy again. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, it seems like the CFL goes in those cycles where it's healthy, it's sick, it's healthy, it's sick. So when the pandemic hit and the league shut down and it closed up shop, um, it was the only league to do that. What were some of your thoughts when, when Randy went well, first of all, what were some of your thoughts about the league not playing during the pandemic? And most and most importantly, how do you think the league did in response to the pandemic? Because that's kind of when the financial issues, again, with the league were exposed for everybody to see. So what are some of your thoughts? I just, uh, yeah. you. Yeah, well, uh, just, just to go back a little bit to sure. uh, the the Southern expansion. Yeah, uh, I happen. I to drive from San Antonio down to uh, Birmingham and go to all these. Uh, see, see if I could talk with people, find out what happened, and so yeah. on. And invariably, uh, they were saying, "Yeah, well, Canadian football is really good, but." Uh, Maybe if you had a little less motion, or 
Uh, Canadian football, yeah, uh, very good. Uh, but don't you think you should play four downs type of thing? Like, it, oh it, it, yeah, yeah. There were all these uh, uh, people that were sympathetic, I guess. Right. But hey, it was an imitation of football, and they wanted to dress it up like the American game was. Eh, well, that's yeah. okay. But uh, getting back to really what you're saying, um, COVID, um, it, it's it's almost like uh, as as soon as uh, people use the term um, it was mandated, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the public. Right, because the rules, well, the quarantine rules were much different up in Canada versus what was down happening down in the states too. Yeah, yeah, but but uh, I I think myself, they couldn't afford to use the model that the NHL used. Uh, right, the NHL played all the all the games uh, between two cities, and then for Vancouver. Uh, Edmonton, I think, after that, for uh, for the Stanley Cup, they would they would do, do all that, and uh, no no spectators mm -hmm. to watch. Um, and I think it, it it could do that because they had the money. Right. The CFL, uh, you know, they're putting on a, a big show uh, and they tried a couple of times to to get get loans that somehow they were going to be able to pay them back on a rate that was uh, in keeping with what they could do uh, and they they just I I think he had to uh, I think Ambrosi had to uh, cut it uh, just get by with uh, no club, uh, no club uh, playing football. Right. They had to work through all the uh, uh, the bonuses and everything like that, and uh, you know the government helped a little bit, uh, but uh, and then and I I think basically they they came out of it pretty good. The crowds, uh, you know. The crowds were uh, much improved uh, after the pandemic than yeah. when it was there. So it, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, second guessing is, right. you know, uh, it, it's easy to, to second guess. Uh, it's 2020 vision type of thing, but right. there's no that when you're second guessing, there's no guarantee that uh, what you're saying isn't going to run into the same problem that you're trying to cure. Right. Yeah. 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 It, you know, it was frustrating, obviously, you, me, anybody who's a CFL fan, not to have CFL, you know, football during that time period. But I think, you know, a lot of us, realize it's like okay the cfl is not the nfl the nfl proved that they don't need fans in the stands 
to make money. I mean, <laughs> and that go even goes with merchandising and, you know, yeah. the CFL has issues there, not, not branding, not marketing, not merchandising. You, before you and I hit the record button here, we were talking about my uh, lament of any Montreal Alouettes uh, gear in any of the shops in, in, in Montreal. It's just, it's very yeah. frustrating with how the CFL, you know, kind of markets itself. It seems like it's almost non-existent. However, yeah. with that said, you've got a new breed of owners coming in who have come in in BC. Um, and we know how well the Prairie provinces do with their marketing. I mean, the Rough Riders, we, we don't even, I mean, they're, they're, they're writing the book on how to market a team because they represent a whole province and, you know, mm -hmm. um, but moving forward here, as we're going deeper into the 21st century, the CFL has not only has it got its old challenges, which, you know, marketing, um, aging demographics with fan base, because there's also the issue of bringing in new fans. And Frank, I'm guessing you're probably not a gamer. <laughs> you probably have not played John Mann football. Um, but we've got a whole breed, got a whole younger fan base out there down in the state, young fan base down in the states that now has grown up on John Madden football. And my one of my, even though I'm 55, I still think I'm 12 years old when it comes to video games. So I, I do, I do have my game systems here. Um, yeah. one of my frustrations as a gamer is there's no there the the. CFL games are lacking. I guess I should say there is a Canadian football video game out there, but in a word, it kind of sucks. And the, the the maker went bankrupt in that. But computers and gaming seem to be the way to attract new fans. Phone apps. CFL doesn't even have an app for my iPhone right now, which is another thing that's driving me crazy. I wrote a piece last night, just very. Again, with the Montreal Alouette news about the ownership, it was just one of those moments here in Japan. I just, you know, I don't have too many people to vent with that speak English. So it's like I just started pounding stuff out and, you know, went on and on and on about, you know. But while I'm writing this, I'm also getting alerts about, well, the XFL. And yeah. so, you know, with the XFL, and there is excitement. And actually, I'm of the opinion that I think the XFL is going to be a moderate success, at least this time around, because I think there is a demand in the markets that they're in that we're going to, you know, there, there's a market for, there's always a market for football. It seems like no matter where, mm -hmm. um, yeah. even in Japan here, there's a very small market, but it's a market nonetheless. But when it comes to, so what, what are some of your thoughts? What back when you heard about the XFL and the CFL maybe getting together. And I say this, and I ask this to somebody who not only has played on a Canadian football team that has beat an NFL team, but you also played against the NFL when you played for Hamilton and you played for, and you played against the Buffalo bills up in Hamilton using a combination of rules. So with all that said, what you would be the one person when, when that all came about, you were the first person I thought of going, there is a guy that, that I'm sure could, could give some perspective on this. So when it comes to, and I'm, I'm very long winded here. I do apologize in getting oh. to my question, but 
when it comes to the future, when it comes to the CFL maybe partnering with American leagues, do you think there's a way to not only keep the CFL history, to keep the CFL game, but, you know, to, to, to keep, to grow the game, I guess, a way to keep mm-hmm. the Canadian game alive without losing what makes the Canadian game so special. Do you think there's a way forward? Yeah, well, that's that's a huge question because, uh, you know, it's like there's a place just outside of Toronto called, there are two places, Kitchener and Waterloo. They're side by side, they reach cities. And uh, so I remember saying to one guy, well, why don't you amalgamate? He says, oh, we will amalgamate as long as they call it Kitchener. <laughs> and the other guy says, well, no, we would too, but they got to call it Waterloo type of thing. And, and in a way, uh, that, would be a, that would be a conundrum. I, a conundrum. I don't know if, if you know, the big, big differences, I think, between American and Canadian approaches to football is uh, no motion before the ball is snapped right. versus motion before snap. One yard scrimmage versus no yard scrimmage. Um, you know, uh, and 11 men, and who knows, could be women too, but 11 people versus 12 people, mm-hmm. I would think. Uh, 60 yards wide and 110 field, 20 yard end zones versus 153, 10 yards. Uh, and and the goalposts, a little bit thing, uh, you know, instead of having yeah. them on the goal line, 10 yards back type of thing. So I, I, I don't know, I don't know who would, would be able to choreograph something that would be kind of a, a an approach to wow. what teams could make. Because the the American game, I think, uh, I'm guessing there's probably more power involved in the American game versus um, not power, but as much as uh, uh, suaveness or you know, uh, it's Finesse. very, yeah, you're, you're not going to see a lot of 300 pound linemen, um, uh, because they're, they're, they're too slow basically right. in the Canadian game. And you, you somehow have to be able to have swiftness, have agility. And I'm not saying that the, the larger people don't have that, but but I, but I think that, uh, and then also the the uh, 
in the play too now of uh, bringing in a quarterback and pushing him from behind really in order to to make that that half a yard or yard yeah uh, I, it, I used to be barred at one time but i think it's back so i i don't i don't think it'll ever I don't think it would ever attract uh, any global type of thing because uh, there people wouldn't give up what they think you know right. the real football is. So, well, I, I I don't know. Yeah, and like you said, you've talked to people. I mean, and that's kind of the conundrum. I sit there and I I hear people's opinions, and maybe I'm just a little tuned into Twitter a little too much, but I hear when I hear people give their opinions and I'm like, yeah, I mean, when it comes to, you know, I think both leagues could partner, but when it comes to, to literally merging, yeah, it's difficult. And it's, it's, I agree with you. It's, I mean, I'm hopeful they can figure this out. And, you know, obviously one of the big issues, at least in the States is just stadium size. I mean, you know, we don't want to see Canadian football being played in the Liberty Bowl again like it was. And, you know, basically it looked like arena league football with walls and yeah. ramps and everything. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, obviously San Antonio, they they were able to fit a CFL-type field there. And back when, you know, the Baltimore team played, Memorial Stadium could accommodate barely, but it, it was able to accommodate a full-size cfl field but yeah it's just it's you know i mean hopefully hopefully there are um people out there that can figure this out for 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 the good of of all everybody but especially for the people of canada who you know this league is older you know the canadian league in whatever form it is is really to me older than the nfl um, I don't know. Did you see where, did you hear about the commercial that they had down here from one of the whiskey people about talking about all the great things about Canada yeah, uh, during I, the Super Bowl? I think it was on our news. It was, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Canada invented. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. uh, you know, um, so I get very defensive, you know, so maybe it's, I get very defensive when it comes to people criticize who are American criticizing Canada. Part of it has to do with, I grew up in a region that was settled by French Canadians. So if it weren't for the French Canadians, I may not have been, you know, I've got, you know, um, I may not have been born. Who knows? But um, but when it comes to the, yeah, I, I think there's a way to, to, to keep football in Canada growing and thriving. It's just, you know, I mean, it does get frustrating for me for you and and you not only did you grow up with the game you played the game you won great cup championships you coached you know i mean you you're such a awesome wonderful career not only with football but in the literary realm at the university level um so you know i'm very grateful for you spending time with me um as i sit here in my uh in my japanese office and and do the thing that I once I moved here, um, doing these pod. I'm going to be doing a lot more of these podcasts because this is for me personally how I stay connected back home to to North America and 
and the game that I love. Um, but Frank, before we wrap up, can you tell people how to find you, how to find your books? Um, and you know, for those who aren't listening, who haven't read any of Frank's books, you got to read them. That's just, I'm going to just lay it out there. You, you need to read them. You need to, you know, um, you are, as I explained to my wife yesterday, you, when it comes to sport, when it comes to sports history in Canada, your name is right at the top of the list. Cause not only do you write about football, but you also write about hockey and your books are not just sports lessons, but history lessons in themselves. So I, po- I apologize for rambling on so long, Frank, no, please tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, no, first of all, I appreciate that uh, very much. And, and it's been my pleasure to, Oh, it's been my honor. Yeah, it's it's been my honor. It's like I, I feel honored with you joining me today. Um, I have a, a website called Valley Old Timers, all one word, dot com. And uh, all the books are listed on there. Um, you can also get them through lulu.com. Um, and uh, I think they're down in. Carolina somewhere right. North Carolina. And those are digital downloads. Yeah, yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, it, it's uh, some of these things I think can't be resolved, like the, the games, different games, and you're not going to have a, a, a world championship over this, I don't think. But and so really, I think each country should just you know, in Australia, if you say football, you're talking about Aussie rules. Mm-hmm. In the United States, you're thinking the NFL or the AFL. Uh, in Canada, you're thinking the CFL. All of them say it's football, and somebody else is going to say, well, what do you mean football? It's soccer type of thing. I so, get that here a lot in Japan, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, but maybe they're just not meant to be uh, combined or or keep them as an enigma right. and don't, don't unwrap them. Okay. All right. Well, okay. I, I, I understand where you're coming. And there's, I, there, I too also have that point of view, yeah. but then every now and then that American side in me will start taking over. It's like, yeah, we can figure, we can, we can figure this. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, but like you said, I mean, they're, you know, I always look at Canadian football in, in many ways, a, a different sport. You know, it's similar. It's much like when it comes to Gaelic football and Australian Ruse football. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of different, a lot of similarities, but there are differences yeah. much I'm like, sure yeah, much like living in America versus living in Japan. I mean, coming here, mm-hmm. adjusting. Yeah. Yeah. I, a lot of similarities, but uh, there are differences yeah. too. And it's those differences that um, if you're, if you don't know what they are, can always trip you up much like an American coach going to Canada and forgetting, Oh, Oh, that's right. There's only three yeah. downs. <laughs> so, so with that said, with that said, Frank, thank you very much for joining both Scott and I and Scott checked in. Um, he is safe down there. I think the the tor- he he went down to the basement. The tornadoes, the warnings have passed. 
However, okay. he couldn't join us because his battery, because the power apparently went out and his oh. battery was dying. So that's why he, he wasn't able to jump back on. So, well, everybody who's listening, thank you very much for tuning in. Frank, at some point here, once we get close, because the Canadian season is going to be coming up soon. So I'm hoping we can have you on much sooner rather than later once we get closer to the season, maybe talk a little bit more about, you know, what I'd like to do is talk more about each team's history. And I'd love to have you on to talk about, you know, the ham, the tie cat history. Cause you playing on you, you playing up there brings that added dimension that, you know, other, other, other writers just can't give, you know, can't give the sport having suited up. Um, and one of my, and, just as a sidebar, my favorite football card of yours is you with the, the Eskimo helmet and a two-bar face mask. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I, I looked at that before we, we came on. Just to remind me, it's like, you know, you know, it's like, oh, this is so awesome. So <laughs> awesome. So, well, everybody, thank you very much for uh, for tuning in. And on behalf of Scott and myself, thank you for listening. Frank, thank you for joining us. And uh, everybody, we will talk to you very soon. Bye-bye. We'll kick off for victory. Cheer them on to the great march. Lusty men of energy. Down the field on the great This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. 
Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Hello, football friends. This is Darren Hayes of the Pigskin Dispatch Podcast, and I'd like to invite you to the portal of positive football history, Pigskin Dispatch and pigskindispatch.com. We talk about everything that centers around the game of American football, expert discussions, the origins of the games, the great players, teams, and coaches, and more, and some great guests and insights from experts. We have new episodes three to four times a week, and you can find us on sportshistorynetwork.com, pigskindispatch.com, or your favorite podcast provider. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.